HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Cane5.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. I like how you just admitted that you hate your voice almost on air, but we just faded away the theme song in time for it to be missed. But I just called you out at the same time. Um, So welcome to radio. Thank you. Taran, what's your last name? Norvell. Norvell. I I got the first part right, so I just didn't want to screw up the second. You got it. Norvell, so it's funny wearing Chef Whites in the studio. You had you had the longest commute I think of anyone who's ever been on my show. Oh yeah, yeah. Where did you come from? The back kitchen. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. There. Excellent. <laughs> so Tara is the well. What is your position here, at Roberta's? Um, I'm the sous chef of the back kitchen. Yeah, at Roberta's. Yep. Excellent. Yeah, it's and been great. Yeah, and it. So Tara, because I also got schooled on pronouncing your name. Yes. Is not Tara. <laughs> yeah, it's that's uh, it's a common mistake, and it's pronounced Tara. Yeah, and that's a little bit because of your Spanish background. <laughs> yeah, I think my my mom really couldn't pronounce Tara because she she doesn't speak very good English. Yeah. So she was just call me Tara, and then that turned into Tara. Yeah, and then people you know people always tried to call me Tara, and it's been you pick and choose your battles. But. Yeah. So <laughs> Spanish heritage yes where were you born and raised overseas here actually i was born in california but i was raised on the east coast um but i guess having a spanish mother it felt like i grew up in europe (laughs) (laughs) you know we had um we had like seven minute shower caps we recycled everything we never had trash it was a very uh you know very spanish upbringing yeah your father though wasn't spanish no my father is very american he's from alabama that's quite a mix, Southern yeah. and Spanish. Yeah, it's very, it's pretty interesting. He was in the Navy, so they met in Spain. Yeah. And then she moved back here to Hawaii, 
and they traveled a lot and then we settled in and they settled in the east coast and that's where i was raised that's right so that household alone with those mixed heritage obviously cooked up some fascinating things a lot of yeah a lot of very influential ingredients um my my mom cooked every single night we never ever went out to dinner really (laughs) growing up i never tried sushi until i moved to new york um just because she cooked every single night we had home-cooked meals it's all we ever knew so and my dad cooked too i mean we we just ate every night at home and it was very traditional rice proteins salads just real simple ingredients real basic cooking but always at home always together just yeah. the norm, you know? Well, it, it's funny because obviously tapas weren't the norm even like 10 years ago. No. And you see this they proliferation <laughs> of like Spanish restaurants such as Mugaritz and, you know, uh, yeah. everything in San Sebastian. Um, that it, we, are, we almost don't know what, you know, the home Spanish cook makes. Right. And right. then you sent me this amazing picture of your yeah. abuela. Yes. And what was on that table? What was on that so, spread? Like a typical meal. For me, my family would be like a tapas is basically uh, unlimited amount of jamón, white s- asparagus straight out of the tin, pulpo. Out of the tin? Le- yeah, you, they come in like tinned asparagus, you know, yeah. um, or out of a jar, like a glass jar. But they're not fresh, and it's just part of the tapas. So you just huh. kind of take them out. Oh, tinned seafood is really, especially in the south of Spain, I think... Tin seafood you can get really nice. Tin seafood, oh, all the Ortiz clams, stuff razor that comes clams, in, yeah. everything. Even um, even octopus. Yeah. And that octopus that you saw in the picture was actually fresh, but a lot of times it's also just like tinned octopus, and it's really great. Olives, raw tomato, raw onion, some bread. You know, just real simple stuff. Yeah. So, did you have this kind of palate growing up, or were you a fussy eater? I actually was probably the fussiest eater in my household, <laughs> which is funny. But um, I was pretty picky. It's my, middle child. Yeah, my own. brother and sister loved real strong blue cheese, and you know all weird things that my mom like tripe and guy, like all these things that my mom would cook. And I always liked tuna croquettes. You know, it was like <laughs> my favorite food growing up were croquettes, fried bechamel sauce. Still, probably my favorite food. It's just butter, milk, you know, it's so simple, but a flour fried. Yeah. Is that a traditional Spanish thing or was yeah, that? Yeah, croquetas are like yeah. one of the most basic Spanish tapas and it's traditionally it's just fried bechamel. Yeah. I always thought that it was a starch, like a potato or like. Yeah, it, it, it has sort of, it is also that. I think different, um, you know, probably different countries have like their own variety of croquettes. It's like fried that fried shape but in spain when you get croquettes it's it's normally it's a bechamel sauce and it's like a creamy delicious yeah. just fried cream <laughs> jeez yeah that yeah. can't get much better than that yeah it's it's pretty great so it's funny that you say how old were you want uh, when you moved to manhattan that you had actually never had sushi yes i was 21 when i moved to manhattan and it was the first time i had sushi thai food um Indian food. I mean, I probably didn't even have these things till later on in the next couple of years of my life, like 20 to 23. I remember I had this great friend who just took me out and really introduced me to, to different kinds of food that I was I was hesitant towards. And, um, yeah, she really opened my eyes. I mean, it's funny to, to be like so protected in like, your food, you know, your palate. And now to I, I will try anything now. Yeah. Yeah. So where were some of those places that you had those first tastes? Do you remember what um, sushi restaurant? Yeah, I remember the sushi restaurant because it was such a treat and it was Megu. 
Whoa. Yeah, which is a well really done. nice place in Manhattan. And I, I just remember feeling um, really special. Obviously, the restaurant is spectacular. You walk down these stairs, and it's a big, open, really luxurious dining room. And we cooked some steak on a hot stone. It was really fun. It was really awesome. It was one of my first you know, experiences, really enjoying it, eating out. Because college was a lot of fast food. Um, I went to a really small college in, you know, in, the, in Maryland, and so just really hadn't had any fine dining experiences at all. Yeah. I mean, you didn't even move to New York for dining. Not or at for, all. For, for food in general. Not at all, no. It's uh, retail fashion Yeah, I had, a, I had a draw towards fashion. I'd always had a draw towards fashion and design, and um, you know, I was majoring in uh, art in school, and that's kind of what I fell into when I came up here. Um, and I always love cooking. It's something I just did naturally because that's what I was trained to do, I think. Cooked every night. Yeah. The, Cooked the, every night at home. The inherent <laughs> thing. Yeah. And, I mean, you tell me that your whole family, your mother, father, grandmother, and your siblings were all terrific cooks. Yeah. all so, Everyone in my family cooks. Yeah. How did it cycle through then? Who cooked meals? I mean, did everyone take part? Um, growing up, it was really my mom. She she would cook pretty much everything. My dad did a, did special meals like I remember Sunday breakfast like buttered toast and eggs and bacon. He would he did a lot of those breakfasts and then he would do a lot of stuff on the grill. Um, he's a real he's he's pretty special at the grill. Yeah, yeah. I mean he's a doctor, so he he takes his meat very seriously and he like, he's like very organized and almost surgical in the way that he cooks. You know, yeah. Isn't it funny that now with the way cuisine or restaurant tools have progressed that you're using things like surgical tools yes. to place little plushes and it's changed a lot yeah it's going in a, you know i think it's going in a really terrific direction i think that's a more professional way of cooking you know using those tools it's like just becoming a little bit more professional overall like all the kitchen all the, all the cooks all the chefs take things more seriously and they want to put more attention and more detail into every plate so in a business of attention and detail, such as fashion was, mm-hmm. what drove you away from it? Um, <clears throat> I guess I felt I was not, f- like, f- it, I wasn't really fulfilled uh, with the work. Um, like, I really enjoyed everyone I worked with. I loved, you know, obviously, mm-hmm. like, it was a great, I had great jobs. I had a great life. I had a great apartment. It was all great. I just, um, I really wanted to do something I was passionate about and that I really loved and I wanted to like love what I do every day. Yeah. And people have always said, you know, you're a dreamer, <laughs> you live in your dreams. And I, yeah, I was like, yeah, I, I do and I want to. And so I, I went to school. I went, you know, when I was 27, I moved to London to go to culinary school. Yeah. I mean, do you just apply to culinary school and say, well, this is my path or uh, how, yeah. how do you make that? Leap I was of faith? super nervous. I thought it would be really hard to get into and to, you know, all that. But really, um, yeah, it's a big leap. I think I was really I had a lot of support from my friends and family, which was the most important thing that they pushed me. They really helped me and they p- encouraged me to do it. So with that help, you know, I was able to to do it. And I'm, I mean, because my mom is Spanish and I have dual citizenship, I was able to go to school and work in London as a, you know, as a citizen of the European yeah. Union. So, so that I mean, helped a lot. Ha- having that uh, ability, I mean, what was this X amount of years ago? Because I'm not going to give away your age. Um, <laughs> when you went to London, why not the draw to Spain? Um, it seems, you know, so in the know yeah such a fad now i i I lived in spain for a brief time after after high school and i've always wanted to live there again um but at the time i think 
I knew like enough like close friends in London and there was a draw in London. There were a lot of restaurants that I was really inspired by, mainly, you know, St. John. Um, and I had read those books and I had read about Fergus and I was like really, you know, I really wanted to go there and see what it was about. Um, I have, you know, I felt like I kind of knew a lot about Spanish food and there was something else I wanted to learn. And obviously I went to a French school, so I wanted to learn the, the classic techniques, yeah. and I also wanted to learn what else was going on in that city. So reading, you know, uh, nose to tail eating, seeing yeah. what's going on, you know, at St. John and some yeah. other London restaurants, what was it that made you choose French technique? Is it relevant in those books? Um, because London cuisine, I think, is very misunderstood even now. Yeah, it is. Uh, no, I mean, they're so different. I think going to school was great because... Um, I was like older and I had done college, so it was really just for myself. And I really took advantage of all the classes, everything. I just did everything they gave, they offered. And then if you push yourself enough, you can really like get the maximum amount out of those schools, like culinary schools. But I think um, what you learn is the basics. And when you learn, when you're in a restaurant, it's a your experience is totally different. And I think. Um, every chef is different, but for me, it was really great to have that schooling and that background because I, I wanted to kind of rush through it. Yeah. I wanted to really soak it all in as fast as I could. Do you feel like going to school is kind of like moving to New York and ha- not having you know New York experience, as they say? You know, restaurants always want New York experience here. Yes, Does going to school set you up for something that just knowing how to cook doesn't. Um, Going to school sets gives you a good idea, but I think that you, like you need some, some restaurants in New York. You definitely need restaurant experience, otherwise you're just going to be weeded. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know it's it's hard. You learn you learn how to work services in restaurants, and you learn how to take care of your your you know take care of your technique and really learn how to take care of your ingredients when you're in school. So I mean, let's talk about coursework in school too. Okay. Is there anything that you learn there that doesn't at all come into play with what you do now? Um, a lot of people might say that, but for me, I feel like everything I learned, I really soaked it in and I can apply it in different ways. I mean, we turned a lot of vegetables, you yeah. know, all through for nine months, I turned vegetables and I've never had to turn vegetables and I'm sure I never will. But it's something like, you know, you do it over and over again and you can apply that same, just there are ways, you know, you want, if you want to ever, gl- I don't know, actually I haven't applied the turn vegetable technique. Yeah. So that's a terrible example. But there, you know, there are other techniques that like you learn a lot of very basic French sauces that, you know, I made a lasagna the other day. It was the first lasagna I've made in a long time yeah. at Roberta's. And I just, you know, I make a bechamel, but I learned all that in school. And it's not something I've had to make in restaurants. So I bring it back, you know, and yeah. I look through all of my notes all the time. And there's a lot of information there that you forget you wrote down. Yeah. <laughs> so it's um, it's always applicable. I think it really depends on the person and how you, how you, you know, how you put it back out, how you, how you're represented by it. It's like, I've used a lot of techniques I learned in school. So going from education into profession, yeah. how do you make that second leap of faith? What restaurants, what chef did you look towards? Do you have to stage? I think I did. I think that my path was really solid because I went straight into this Michelin-style French restaurant, and it was really hardcore. Yeah. What um, restaurant was it? It was called Le Tropien. And is the sister restaurant to Pita Terre, which is a pretty famous, you know, Michelin-starred uh, French restaurant in London. 
and the I mean I the guys there I've never seen anyone work so hard they were there 18 hours a day six days a week never saw the sun you know it was um it was not ideal situation honestly and I think you can you honestly really can't be your best when that's your work schedule um I don't think you can really demand you know your your employees best if you're working them 18 hours a day it's pretty rough but these guys put out their best and it was really inspiring and it was um it was a real eye-opener coming from school where you know you kind of sit for an hour in a demo and then you work for an hour and 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 I was I was having an hour and a half commute each way to work, and I was probably sleeping about four hours a night. It was rough. Yeah, it was rough. I was making the bread. I was running the Amuse station. It was really it was really an eye opening experience, and so much determination in those cooks, you know, to get through these services. <laughs> so, well, I mean, do you think it's a good thing to have that kind of preconcept um, to work like that? You know, yeah, I do. I think it's a good thing. I think uh, you can tell in uh, cooks and in chefs if they don't have that experience because they're, they, there's a sense of urgency that you see when a cook has been really, really pushed. Yeah, um, they have that urgency no matter where they're working. You know, in a place like in like a place like Roberta's where there's really no pushing or hustle, like yelling or anything like that. The services are very calm here and very organized, you know, and it's it's not like a, a crazy hustle and grind yeah. type thing. But it's great to have that. It's it, I think it's important to have both, well, have, to learn both. Even more important than being in an environment like that is finding someone who fosters you yeah. personally. Yes. So, and your next step was finding a mentor. Who was that? Yeah. In what restaurant? Um, my... I mean, I think I've I've really had some great mentors, but my first mentor would have been Tim Seattleton, and he from Trulo Restaurant, which is where I went right after Le Tropied, and that is an incredible place, a really amazing restaurant in London, um, just a, a real family, a lot like Roberta's in a smaller on a smaller scale, but ju- you know the two owners, best friends, uh, cousins working in the you know nieces there, and everyone's a part of it. Um, and it was a brand new restaurant, so we all kind of had our own piece in the project. So Tim worked for Jamie Oliver at 15. Yes. I mean, yes. he had a pedigree. He worked at yes. St. John, at yes. Morrow. Um, yeah, he, he did. And he really, um, he really instilled the whole live your dream, the whole live your dream. <laughs> and our services, like group hugs, you know, beforehand, lots of love, you know, helping each other out, not a lot of competition, just a real family effort to put out a lot of love in your food and you could taste it you know food was remarkable and it still is and it's still one of my favorite restaurants um i just you can you can just feel the difference when you have a plate full of love and a plate that was sort of like put together from different people so then tell me about a dish that was constructed uh-huh. versus a dish that was made with love what what are those two dishes and what are those components oh god okay well for example um, all right. Okay, so in the first restaurant, La Tropiede, it was sort of one of those restaurants where the station's out. One person will cook a protein, one person will cook a garnish, one person will cook the veg, and you throw it all to your expo chef, and they'll plate it and expedite it. And I think a lot of times when you're just cooking 
your veg or your garnish, it, it gets you get lost in the repetition and you get lost and you just it tastes the same thing every so time. They're making turn cuts over and, and over. I think when someone else is plating the food that someone else has cooked and probably someone else has pre- prepped, it, it you lose you lose the, the connections. You you know you're kind of like you lose your connection to the food. And I can't remember an exact dish, but pretty much all the dishes at that restaurant were were cooked that way. You know, separate people prepare them, and then different people cooked them, and then another person plated them. It's almost befitting that you don't remember them. They're, 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 they're unmemorable <laughs> Well, I mean, they things. were all yeah. delicious. Yeah. Like, really great food executed and really perfectly executed and great. It's just, um, you know, kind of disconnected. And then at Trullo, we would come in in the morning, discuss what we want to put on the menu around coffees and just kind of like, as a family, like, what should we make today? And and then we'd make the menu, we'd make the food, and you'd just have so much more connection to the food because we'd be shelling the beans, you know, talking over like shelling beans and hanging out and then cooking service. And it was it was just a lot of fun. And yeah. I think, you know, Tim really wanted everyone to have fun, and he made sure to, to put that, you know, make sure everyone was having fun. He wanted everyone to be living their dreams. Did it almost feel like cooking around your grandmother's table? It, it was better than that. It was. It was better. It was like cooking with your best friends. And it, you, I mean, you know, it was it was really it was really amazing. It, yeah. was, it was one of the best times of my life for sure. Well, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back to New York. Cool. No more fashion this time <laughs> for food. Yeah. You've been listening to Heritage Radio Network food scene. We'll be right back. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Cane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. For more information, visit Cane5.com. Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Tara Norvell. So we were just talking London, and now we're coming back to New York. Funny enough, you found a British restaurant to work in. Yeah. <laughs> the Spotted Pig. Yeah. It was sort of a coincidence, but it was also kind of set up that way because my chef in London, Tim, was really good friends with the, with the chef at, at Spotted Pig, who was Ralph Johnson at the time the head chef there and they were both original members of jamie oliver's 15 so i i knew that i was going to enjoy working with ralph just based off of my experience with tim yeah yeah so i mean now having worked in a few restaurants and well mainly people that work for jamie oliver yeah 
how does he train his chefs, his cooks? I mean, what is it in that kind of ilk of person that makes you want to work with them? I mean, both of them just had this really sincere passion and drive and they never complained. And I mean, you know, both of them would just be the first one to sweep the line. Things like that, like real solid line cooks with passion for the food and love for the food and the ingredients. And just, um, I mean, really great managers as well. Just kind, patient, the kind of chefs that never yell, that like don't the, lose their temper. Yeah, it's like and the it's opposite rare. of what yeah. people, people assume. Expect, yeah. yeah, and it was what I is the opposite of what I expected, um, especially after coming from that French restaurant where it was a lot of screaming, you yeah. know, and a lot of like humiliating and that kind of what is typical and I think some restaurants, you know. And then what was the difference between, you know, how life was like in London versus New York as a chef? Oh, London was so much better. <laughs> <laughs> what was it about London? The quality of life in London is so much better. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you get free health care. You can afford to live. Um, they, they definitely, no matter what industry you are in London, they treat employees better than New York. New York is really like you're on your own. It's, it's, it's a... It's a th- sink or swim type city, uh, but I mean, I've lived in I lived in New York before, so I knew I knew what was what it was going to be like. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, I lived in the West Village before I moved to London, and now you know I'm living in Bed Stuy. So yeah, <laughs> those the are the differences. Yeah, the new exactly yeah. <laughs> the new West Village. Yeah, those are the main differences. So why do you think? You know, there is not community support within restaurants. Maybe it's a financial thing that's out of their hands, but... Um, I don't know. I think that the in, the restaurant industry in this country hasn't seen a lot of modernization. I think the way that the, the actual infrastructure is set up has been the same for a long time. Um, and it's, we're starting to see that change a lot with these, uh, with like tasting menus and tasting restaurants like Blanca and, you know, all these great places that are opening that are really showcasing the professional cooks, like professional chefs. And what, what we're, you know, what we're really looking to do in the future is to save food costs, to save food waste, you know, to use what's freshest, what's growing locally. And that's why tasting menus, I think, are really important because, you know, you, you, you don't want to make a menu that doesn't change. Yeah. And you also don't want to make a restaurant that doesn't change or... Yeah. or, or a restaurant society. Yeah. And I thought it was very important for you to say food professionals looking towards the future Mm -hmm. because to hire someone, especially at Roberta's, Mm -hmm. you're not just hiring someone as an employee. You're hoping that they extend the brand almost in a sense. Absolutely. Open up their own place. Yeah. So how is it different working at Roberta's than that French restaurant? Well, Roberta's has been um, such an incredible place for me. When I came here, uh, I mean, they just gave me this opportunity to be, to grow, uh, to to be myself. I mean, working here, they encourage you to really be you. It's like get as weird as you want to be, you know. <laughs> and I'm a real weirdo, so I think I fit in really great. Yeah. And um, I was I was um, I really grew in. I mean, Carlo and Max were my you know mentors pretty much my entire time here. I worked really closely with Max Sussman, who was the head chef just before Nick Barker, who's our head chef right now. And, you know, they really helped mold my mold my palate into what, you know, was better than I'd been learning. They just really helped mold me, focused. And Carla's food is very clean and focused. And 
it really helped me to to focus my, what I what, what my food was like, which is a little bit more rustic, you know, a little bit more Italian, like the whole Jamie Oliver, all of those spotted pig that has a lot of Italian influence. Funny enough, you know, there's a lot of Italian. I mean, Trullo was an Italian restaurant, and Roberta's an Italian restaurant, but has a lot of Japanese influence. Yeah. And I was that was all brand new for me. Yeah. So I mean, let's talk lunch menu because you say there are a couple influences from your London days. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think we, you know, something that we do here, we use, we try to use like kind of r- cuts of meat that maybe are sort of obscure. I think and obscure or awful. No, I would say more obscure yeah. because, for example, we have like a beef shin ragu on the menu. And the beef shin is something that we've cooked. We cooked at Trullo, but it's a it's a relatively inexpensive part of the cow that is full of flavor and really easy to braise, and you get a great yield on it. And um, it, it's it, you know with a fresh pasta, it's it's a baller dish, you know. And that's something that you know I, we ordered at Trullo, and I thought, oh, beef shin would totally work at Roberta's because we love feets and tails and things like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we love offal too, um, but that gets more expensive in New York, honestly. Like getting calves brains, getting hearts, and things like that are a little bit harder to get in New York. Well, it's almost like tenderloin. There's only one per animal. Right. And people think, why right. is it such an expensive cut? Because it's such a small percentage of the actual protein. Exactly. Within an animal. Yeah. So, and so, as is a heart. As right. Is so a to tail. order, yeah, exactly. If you have to order a bunch of hearts, you're just killing all yeah, of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of animals. <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to gloss over that a little bit, about killing all those <laughs> animals. But talk again about, you know, the... the influences of a lot of different cultures and you you specifically said japanese yeah and there happens to be a japanese chef here yes who you may be collaborating it was amazing when um we about i guess it was about a year and a half ago or a year ago we had this little pop-up ramen word of mouth thursday night late night in the back kitchen at roberta's and then it became a pop-up in another location in williamsburg and it was all this one man named Yuji, Yuji, and he became like you know he became an employee at Roberta's, and um, I basically trained him. He worked with me at lunch as a line cook, and he'd never done that before, but he really wanted to learn about restaurants. And we worked together really closely for the, about for almost a year now, and he's um, grown into such an incredible cook. And he's starting, you know, he has a Yuji Ramen. He already has his own business. It's on the weekends at at the Brooklyn Flea Market. And now he's um, starting a pop-up at Whole Foods. So there'll be Yuji Ramen at Whole Foods. I believe it starts on March 12th. That's amazing, yeah. And it's incredible. I'm so happy for him. And I'm going to be, yeah, I'm going to be working with him a lot on that. I hope to learn a lot more about Japanese food and making ramen and his style of ramen, which is very different and very cool. And he takes all the things that he's learned here like making our pastas, you know, making our sauces, soups, braises, everything that he's helped with, uh, you know, helped us here with, he's now taking and putting it, his own spin on it. Yeah. So, I mean, you can throw out the words traditional and it's, oh, not, yeah. it's not necessarily somen ramen. It's not no, it's gonna Yeah, it's yeah. going to be its own thing. It's going to be different. It's going to be new. It's going to be fresh. Excellent. Yeah. And what are you doing to add into that business? Obviously, you have, you know, this worldly uh, knowledge and understanding. I think uh, I'm really trying to go into it with a clean slate because I think there's, he's taught me so much as um, just working with him. I feel like there's a lot to learn when you start a new project. And I feel like just being off site out of a kitchen is going to like take me out of that comfort zone and really help me 
And I'll, I think it's fun to just see what th- see what you learn, see what happens. I think you know my strengths right now are probably like service strengths because I've been running services at Roberta's for a while. But I also love creating things and you know mixing flavors, and it's going to be really fun. Yeah. I know one thing that he he's looking to do is different sh- like shapes of ramen. So I think I'll have I'll be able to help with that because I love making pasta. It's one of my favorite things. Oh, so you mean like doing like a farazetti or like more Italian shapes, not just like extruding the same single noodle? Yeah, I mean over I don't want to give again. too much away, okay. but right. I'll yeah. just leave it at that. Like, yeah, there are going to be some really exciting That's shapes. That's kind of fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be great. You look at Japanese cuisine and you look at like mochi specifically. Yes, and obviously the crazy amount of shapes and you know. Uh, flavors that that carries and yeah. yeah yeah you don't often see it translate into you know noodles can can take on any shape and, yeah. and take on so many flavors and um i mean yeah he's he's really gone into some really cool techniques and like crossing over the techniques that he learned just from making ramen and the techniques that he learned here and just crossing them over and it, it, i mean it's going to be a brand new project for me so i'm really excited i think going in starting fresh like i don't know anything is yeah. the best way to do it oh you, you know? know a lot more than you <laughs> letting on yeah but you bring up the point of cooking for scale mm-hmm. cooking for service mm-hmm. and then just cooking yeah i mean there's such a big difference between all three of those things and that you have to wear all those hats when you're trying to move forwards in a business like yeah. Yuji is. Yeah, he, yeah, it's definitely um, that's a that's a difficult thing. Like you, you know, obviously your your priority. You have to prioritize your day, and you know when Yuji's working here, he's he's so efficient and he's so fast and he's so accurate at what he does. Um, and I think that's for me. That's been one of the things I learned from him is just how accurate um, he and how efficient he is. <laughs> Well, I mean, you have Yuji's dream, working with him. Mm -hmm. What is your dream? Where are your sights set now? Um, I've always looked at my future. I guess I really want to go into the educational field. Like Eventually, down the line, when I feel like I know enough, I can start teaching people. Yeah. Yeah. Especially kids. What aspect of teaching did you like from school that, or didn't you like from school, that you want to incorporate into your, you know professorial days um i you know i loved going back to school Uh, i guess because you know i was older and i kind of had a different appreciation for it but i felt like learning was such an invaluable experience and what what it is is just food is just never stops fascinating me it's like science it's just you know yesterday i cut into a radicchio and the middle of it just how beautiful that is is always fascinating and i think that um, there's a huge lack of food education in terms of like our public school system. I know I never learned anything about food growing up, and I would really like to, you know, dedicate my time later to really like help kids learn about food. I think that um, it's really easy to eat healthy and it's really cheap, and people just don't know how to cook for themselves. It's true. Yeah. And so let's 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 put you to the test and put you <laughs> on the podium right now. Give me like a. a tip a technique and then apply that to a recipe um okay uh let me think well like for example for family meal i mean i make family meal most days of the week and i i it's 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 hard to make a meal for 70 people every day but i always just use a lot of vegetables and I think like vegetables are one of the most incredible like underappreciated things we have and 
every vegetable just has so um, so much you can use in it. And uh, I think that when you realize you can use skins and stems and eat all those things and cook them and roast them and make them delicious. kind of like the obscure and awful yeah. of vegetables. I yeah. mean, a lot of times when I cook for people, I'll roast vegetables with salt and olive oil and they, well, how did you make this? How did you make this? It's, you know, it's roasted with salt and olive oil. Yeah. <laughs> That's just how good vegetables are. They yeah. have their own flavor and you don't have to do anything to them. So let's talk about the often unused parts of vegetables. What are some of your favorites? And um, I love stems and skins of everything. Like I love, uh, <laughs> like I, I just made a snack earlier this morning. It was just fried potato skins <laughs> because I was peeling potatoes. And yeah. I, I can't throw these out. Like they're so good, and I just fry them and I put tons of Old Bay on it. <laughs> yeah, and you serve those at the restaurant or no? Those, those are just a snack. Yeah, because for family. But we just pre-recorded an episode before, and the guys on there were asking where have potato skins gone. I'm just going to send know, them back into the kitchen. Yeah, with you. N- they don't go in the trash here. Yeah, you know they get eaten. Yeah, um, but all sorts of I, I just. You know, in the obviously in the different times of year, you have different vegetables, but you know, radish greens and beet greens, like the tops of carrots, all of those tops of everything, the tops of scallions, all that stuff is so great. It's so good. You know, seeing that stuff get cleaned off and thrown in the trash kind of breaks my heart. Yeah. So, are you going to piss off some people like the companies that make peelers by saying you don't really need that shit anymore? No, I think peelers are necessary yeah. for a lot of things. Um, but I do. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I do, I, like, I think that, um, you know, some people can promote waste by trying to sell more things and whatever. Like, a lot of grocery stores will never sell, like, the tops of the beets. They just sell beets. But, you know, some places, like, a lot, obviously, if you go to a farmer's market, the tops are on there. And they're going to tell you, like, that's edible. You should cook them down and eat them. Yeah. They're great. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Yeah. One other quick question. And it's, it's, it's very simple. But I've been kind of obsessed with people's favorite food words lately. Do you oh. have one that is just kind of your, you know, uh, what is it? Power animal of sorts or power food word? Food word. Um, a food word. I don't know. It could be a phrase. It could be a technique. Oh, well, we have a lot of phrases. Yeah. <laughs> we have a lot of phrases. I mean, um, one of my favorite phrases, <laughs> which was from a former sous chef, Nick, and he always says, like, one team, one dream. And I think that's really important, uh, especially at a place like Roberta's, because, you know, sometimes cooks can feel very isolated with your station and your jobs and just you're very task-oriented. And I think, you know, we say that phrase all the time in the kitchen, one team, one dream, because you really are like a band, like a crew, you know, and you have each other's backs. And depending if, you know, if you work in the front of house or the back of house, or if you're a dishwasher or whatever your job is, like it's one team, you know, and, and that's the most important thing when you're running a kitchen to really have a great service is to feel that and to really believe that because you can feel it when people aren't on the same page and you're, it's a, it's a struggle, you know, you don't want that tension, at all between anyone in the restaurant and or anyone in the business it's like we're all we're all doing the same living the same dream you know yeah well <laughs> and i really do appreciate you actually saying that because i feel like this is going to be the beginning of an exploration i used to shoot a series called back of the house for years i still do about the lives of chefs and kitchens and wanted to start 
meeting the people that I used to kind of document visually, but now explore that verbally. So I couldn't have asked for a better first person to do that with. Thank you. Thank you so so much. And we will be looking out for your big dreams and hopefully hearing a lot more from you in the future. Yes. Thank you. Really appreciate it. You've been listening to the food scene on heritage radio network.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at three. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.